Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Somehow I've either gotten taller the last few weeks or I think we just keep pushing this down, so forget that every week. Hey, good morning. Great to see you today. Uh, Some new faces out there. Thanks for joining us. Um, You are catching us in the middle of a series in the book of Ecclesiastes. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 this morning if you want to follow along, or we'll also have it up on the screen. Uh, But maybe if you're just jumping in with us, let me just give you a little 10-second summary of what Ecclesiastes is all about. So Ecclesiastes was written by a man who the Bible calls the wisest person to ever live. And so this man had a lot of experiences in life. He had wealth, he had fame, he had relationships, he had anything he really wanted. And towards the end of his life, he sits down and he just reflects on all that he's experienced. All these things that he thought would bring him joy and meaning, and he looks back and he says, really, all of it was vanity. All of it just, it just was smoke, it just disappeared. It didn't really bring me the, the fulfillment and flourishing that I really expected. And so he's offering us this book as a, a kind of a way of living life. It's a treaty on how do I live wisely in the reality of a broken world? Because we all experience every day the reality of a broken world. And so but God still says that we're not victims in this world. We're not defeated in this world. We can still live a flourishing, fulfilling life, but it does have to be done God's way. So Ecclesiastes has given us wisdom into that. So chapter 9 is where we'll be at this morning. Um, Over the last year or so, we've gotten into this habit at dinner time sometimes where the kids will say, Daddy, tell me a story from when you were a little boy. And so I dig back in my brain and I try to remember a story and I share that with them. And it's really fun. You know, I enjoy getting to share an experience with them. But after you do that, like every day for months and months and months, it gets a little hard to remember a story, right? Like, man, you know, you just, a lot happened back there, but I don't really remember. So one night I had the idea, I said, you know, Abby, my daughter, who's four years old, she said, Daddy, tell me a story from when you're little. And I said, Abby, I'll tell you a story from when I was little, but first, you have to tell me a story from when you were a kid. She thought a minute, she said, okay, you could see her wheel spinning, she said, I got it. All right, tell me your story, Abby. She goes, once upon a time, the end. (laughs) And that was her story. So, of course, you know, we had the similar response. So that was kind of creative. That was kind of funny. So we all chuckled and laughed. And so, of course, now, every time you ask Abby for a story, that's how it goes. Once upon a time, the end. Right? Well, as we've looked at Ecclesiastes, it may be kind of tempting to think that's really what he's saying about life. Once upon a time, the end. You're all going to die. Life is vain. And then the end comes. But there's really a lot more to it because Ecclesiastes is also helping us to see that every story has a middle, right? Abby's story was fun. It was cute, but it was missing something. Like you just feel like there's something that wasn't there and it's the middle. Do you guys remember ever having these things when you were young? Did you guys ever make these things? When I was a kid, I loved these things. These are paper chains, you know, and you count down to some big event in life, which when you're young, it's like your birthday, Christmas, or my favorite one was the end of school, right? And so you wake up. And every day, it's this exciting thing because you get to rip off another piece of your chain, and you're one step closer to the end of this thing. Well, when it comes to Ecclesiastes, it's very tempting to kind of just, you you hear all this about the end, the end, the end. And it's like, it almost trains our eyes to focus so much on this last day of our chain that we forget all of these ones that are still left are really important and significant. 
But sometimes when we're little, we get so excited and so fixated on that last one that all these, we just want them to be done as fast as we can. But we realize the older we get and a little bit more wisdom we get behind our thinking, we start to say, you know, every one of these days is really precious. Every one of these really is bringing me closer to the end. And once I tear that off and, and it's gone, it's not coming back on my chain. And so today in Ecclesiastes, we're getting to this point, and the heart of our passage is saying, how do we live well in that middle part? Every person in this room has a once upon a time. Once upon a time, our story began, and all of us are going to have this time called the end where life comes to an end. What makes life different is what we do with the middle part. All of us have the same beginning, all of us have the same end, but the only thing that really separates us is what do we do with that middle section that we call life. And so this morning, we don't want to miss the middle of our story. So we are going to read, I'm going to start out by reading kind of the heart of this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word as we start out together this morning. We're going to study verses 1 through 12, but I'm going to just read uh, verses 7 through 10 to begin today. He says this, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun. All your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in the labor which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text, and Lord, Ecclesiastes has been a roller coaster. It's, it teaches us so much, and it helps us to view life in just a very different way. But Father, it's training us to see life from your perspective, and so today I pray that you would help us to do that. I pray that you would help us to leave here with a different understanding of what this day is to be about. Help us to not fly through another day in life, God, but to stop and to see the gift that this day is. So please slow us down this morning, Lord. Pray that you would speak to us and help this kind of tricky and confusing passage to be clear and make sense in our minds this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we go through these 12 verses, we're going to kind of basically build one sentence together that's going to summarize what we're talking about today. And you're not going to be surprised by this first part of our sentence that comes from verses 1 through 6. If you've listened to much of Ecclesiastes, you know this part of the sentence well. So here's how it begins. You will die one day. All right? That's the message of Ecclesiastes. Probably very encouraging to keep coming back to church hearing this reality week after week. One day you are going to die. But that's where Solomon began again. So let's look at this, these first few verses to see this reality right here. So verse 1 starts out like this. For I considered all this in my heart. Everything he's experienced, everything he's been sharing, all of this, he considered it in his heart so that I could declare it all. So he's trying to put words to everything he's experienced, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. Now, that seems like kind of an odd verse, and what is he really saying here? But Solomon is stopping. He says, look, we've covered a lot so far in this letter. What we've talked about is basically that no matter if you are the wisest person to ever live, and you live with intentionality, and you live in a way that honors the Lord, 
your life may still be met with a lot of hardship. But somebody else could, could live for themselves and live their own ways, and their life just seems pleasant and joyful. And he just says, this just doesn't make sense. And so after all of this deliberation, he comes to this point and he says, I've just finally realized I can't make sense of this. I can't explain why life is the way it is. I can't understand why God does the things he does. But this much I know. The righteous and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. So he says, I don't know the details. I don't understand why things have happened in my day the way they have. But what I do know is that every part of my life is in the hand of God. And so it's this, it's this hard attitude of just releasing this to the Lord. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I do trust you and I trust what you're doing. It's all in your hand. He says, in fact, life is so confusing that people know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. What that means, he says, sometimes we're going through life and we are in these experiences and we think, oh, this individual really loves me. And in reality, they have a very different motive for their interaction with us. And sometimes we, somebody treats us in a way that we don't like. Mom and dad disciplined us when we chose to do our own thing. And so we feel like these people don't even love me. They may even hate me. The reality is that's an act of love. And so he says here, this is just part of the confusion of life and just the complexity of it that we're going through it and we can't even really determine if this person actually loves me or hates me. But what we do know is all things are in the hand of God. Everything about my life is in God's hand. And Solomon says, I kind of just had to learn to be okay with that, that that's enough. And that may be all the answers that I really get. So then he goes on, amidst all of this confusion, there is one thing we can be certain of. Verses two and three say this, all things come alike to one. One event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good, the clean, and the unclean. To him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as is the good, so is the sinner. And he who takes an oath as the one who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That one thing happens to all. Truly, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live, and after this, they go to the dead. So here's really where he's getting to that part that we just mentioned in that sentence, that one day you will die. And he's saying here, this is true whether you are righteous and you are living in a way that God has called you to, or you're unrighteous and you're not doing, your, doing anything God wants you to do, the same fate awaits us all. Now, we obviously have to understand what he's doing here. He's not, he's not arguing for what life is like in eternity. There's obviously a very clear distinction the Bible teaches for what happens after death to the one who has placed their faith in Christ and the one who has not. Those experiences are not the same. That's not what Solomon is saying. He's not saying that the righteous and the dead all end up happy and we all end up in heaven one day and God makes everything right. There's a lot of worldviews that do think that and they use this verse to kind of one of their ways to argue for that. That's not what Solomon's doing. He's writing a poem to make a simple point. At the end of the day, we are all going to die. Whether you've been righteous or unrighteous, whether you have been clean or unclean with your life, this same fate awaits us all. Now, I'm not going to really belabor this point because if you want to go back, Rance did a whole sermon on this idea last week, preparing for your funeral. And so we, we get this main idea here. But when we see this point, again, that can be pretty discouraging. And it leaves us saying like, look, if that's all that awaits us is this same fate, why do I really try so hard to live in a way that honors the Lord today? Why do I have to live a middle that's seemingly not really doing what I want to do if at the end of the day it's going to kind of be the same? So then he goes on in verses four through six, and he uses this really interesting comparison to help us challenge that thought. 
He says, but for him who is joined to the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love, their hatred, their envy, they have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. So he's kind of making this same idea here, saying, look, this is what's going to happen to all of us, but there is a difference. He says, even though we all have this day coming, he says, it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. Now, very strange story, right? But if we just look at these little pictures here, if you had to pick one of these creatures to be, which one would you pick? Yeah, thank you. I was really hoping you didn't think want to be some cute puppy, right? But when you look at this little dog, it's like, it's pretty helpless, right? Especially this thing, right? I mean, there's some dogs that maybe look like they can handle themselves. That thing doesn't have its shot, right? This, this little puppy here, right? When you look at that, why would you, would you ever aspire to be that? No, but look at this thing on the other side, right? What do they call that animal? What's a nickname for the lion? The king of the jungle, right? Think, I want to be the king of the jungle. That sounds, that's awesome, right? There's nothing to fear. Nothing's going to mess with you. You're the, you're the king of the jungle. And in life, it says that which would be better? Would it be better to be the king of the jungle? Or this little puppy that's just so cute, right? We want to be the king. We want to be the king of our world. We want, to be, we want to be the man. We want to be the person that people look to. And usually it's better to be that lion that's destructive and powerful. But he says, you know a time when that little dog is better than that lion? When that lion's dead. Once that lion's dead, that little puppy all of a sudden is really the one that's got it going on. And now, again, don't overread this because it, this idea of like once you're dead, you have no memory of what's... He's not saying we go into this state of unconsciousness where we just cease to exist. He's not arguing about what life is like in eternity. But what Solomon is saying is like, look, there's coming a point where you will die. And in that day, your experience of life under the sun is never coming back. There is no hope for you to go back and rewrite the middle of your story once you're dead. You may have had this great, powerful life, but if that's the story you wrote, when death comes to you, there's no going back. But this little puppy, even though he's kind of helpless, kind of cute, doesn't really seem to be adding a lot to the world, there's still hope for him. There's hope that he can learn. There's hope that he can say, you know what, I'm going to change what I'm about. And there's hope for us today. Right now in this moment, you are breathing and God has given you life. And he's saying, there is still hope for you. That maybe the middle story that you've written right now is not a good story. It's not a story that brings honor and praise to the Lord. But your hope is not over because you're still experiencing life under the sun. You can change the way you're living now. But there's coming a day where you're going to rip off the last link in your chain and there's no going back. So you can be the lion today, but once you're dead, there's really no more hope. There's no looking back. So that first part of our sentence, one day you will die. That's all we're going to talk about that. Really, the heart of our passage is verses 7 through 10. And that brings us to this next point of our sentence, which we really want to dive into. You will die one day, but live the rest of your days fully with joy and gratitude. So right here in the middle of this, this is what he's getting at. He said, we have talked so much about death and so much about this future reality, 
but live each and every day, however many more you have, whether it's one or a thousand, live each day fully. Enjoy each moment. Live each day with a heart of gratitude. That's what makes a middle story significant. That's a life that comes to the end, and it was a good story. But so many people write this story, and their story is one of just sadness and mopey and defeated and just, just always on the outs or the downside. It's not what God has for us. And so in these next verses, we're going to see four things that Solomon says, look, these are gifts that God has given to you. Every single day you experience these gifts. And if you see these gifts, if you enjoy these gifts and you give thanks for these gifts, your life can be radically different. All right? So four gifts that God has given to all of us. And we'll see the first one here in verse 7. And it's the gift of contentment. So verse 7, go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with Mary, for God has already accepted your works. So this first little word there, this word go, it's when we kind of just read and just keep going, go, eat your joy, you know, all that. All throughout Ecclesiastes, he's really made this same point multiple times. He's actually used this same idea twice already of this idea of just go eat your bread with joy. But here it's different. Here he kind of amps it up a little bit, and he stops with this first word, and it's really like, go! It's this exclamation point. It's get out of bed and get busy living. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not like, well, if you think about it as you're going, just, you know, if, if it crosses your mind, just give, you know, give thanks for that bread. It's like, no, get up and live with intentionality right now. Right now is your moment to enjoy this gift that God has given us called contentment. And so the way he talks about it, the thing he helps us look at is eating your bread with joy and your wine with a merry heart. Now, if you think about one of the, just the most basic functions of life, it's this right here, right? Eating and drinking every day. Every day we do that two, three, four, 12 times, right? Whatever. Every day, this is just part of life. And it becomes such a normal part of life that it's just, we just do it to sustain ourselves, right? Ah, it's just another meal. What he says, will you stop? Every meal you have is a gift from the Lord. Why do we expect that we're going to have dinner tonight? Why do we expect the rest of our day is going to go as planned and that tonight I'm going to have a normal meal with all of the people that I normally eat with? Every single meal we get is a gift. You notice here, I'm a little disappointed in this. He didn't say, go eat your ribeye with joy, right? You have those meals, like the celebration meals, where you're like, oh, I'm about to throw down, right? You have that restaurant that you look forward to, like, oh, the crab legs with the garlic butter sauce, like, oh, and that meal is not hard to rejoice over. You sit down, and you want every bite just, mm. You know, you eat with that person, you can just tell, like, you are having way too much fun over there, right? That we can get into, but bread and wine, that was the most basic meal that they had in that time period. But here he's saying, if you really want to understand what it means to live fully in the middle of your story, every single time you sit down and you have the most basic things of bread and wine, stop and realize what a gift 
God just gave to me. And then we get this last phrase of this that seems really kind of, again, kind of another tricky one. For God has already accepted your works. Well, that could be, if we read that in a very universal sense, it's like, well, God said I can do whatever I want. He doesn't care. He's accepted me. Okay, context is really important when we come to these sort of things, right? Is the context of this talking about any choice you make in your life? No. It's talking very specifically about when you stop throughout your day and you can go through the most mundane parts of your day with joy, God is so pleased with that response. Have you ever had a kid that like, you know, they ask you, can I have a cup of water? And you're like, yes. Come back. Can I have a cup of water? Yes. The answer to that is always yes. And it's a very exciting step in life when the kid finally realizes I can have water whenever I want to. God, dad always says yes to water. I don't have to keep asking. That's kind of the heart of this here. God is saying, yes, that's what I want you to do. Every time the answer is yes. I want you to live with this attitude of enjoyment over the most basic things of life. Does that please the Lord and I live this way? The answer is yes. He's already accepted and approved and delighted in the choices that you're making when you stop and enjoy the most basic parts of your day. This is a really hard thing to do, though, because, you know, life is busy and it's just, this is such a basic function of our day. You know, we wake up, we've, we've woken up a lot of times in our life. It's really hard to stop and just almost have this sense of awe that I just woke up today. The Lord has chosen to gift me with another day under the sun. Thank you for that. I don't know about you, but it's very rare that I have that type of thinking. Because we tend to fall into this idea that life as I know it now is how life is always going to be. And just we expect tomorrow, we expect next week, and we miss this. And so if we want to live this way, if we want to be able to enjoy these most basic things of every single day, it really requires us to slow down. Because again, the way that we live life is this just like quick-paced, another day, another week. It's just we're going so fast through life. And when we do that, it's impossible for us to enjoy these most basic things. But here he's saying, slow down. You know, you can't eat your bread and drink your wine if you're going 1,000 miles an hour. You're going to choke on it. Slow down. Enjoy the meal. But we are so busy thinking about what's next, what's next, what's the next thing I have to do, and we're distracted, and we miss it all. Elizabeth Elliot said in one of her books, wherever you are, be all there. How much would life be different if that was true? And, you know, to pick on my generation, you know, we sit down for dinner and the first thing we do is we set our phone right there. Now, if I really care about you, I may go like this, right? This is a face down sort of meal. But what do we communicate? What is happening in our brains when I'm sitting down having a one-on-one conversation, but I put my phone right here? I'm communicating something like there's, there's things happening in the world that are maybe more important than what's happening right here. And I, just let me check, you know, just stop. Enjoy that moment because that moment may never come back. You may never get that meal again. You may never have that conversation again. Enjoy this moment. So that's one gift he's given us. He goes on in verse 8 to tell of, us of another and this is the gift of celebration. 
And he says it this way, let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. Now, when we put this into the context of, you know, ancient world, if you live in an ancient desert that has dirt floors everywhere, dirt roads, you didn't often wear your nicest white outfits, right? Because those things were going to be immediately dirty. To help put this in some present context, right? If it's raining and muddy, you're not going to wear those brand new Jordans that you can't even crease. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all, you teenagers walk around like that? You're very careful when you choose to wear those things because they're special. And but what he's saying here, he says, look, you woke up today. Put on the nice white clothes. Put the oil on your head. Oil was expensive. It wasn't something that you often used. It was something that you, you could use to clean yourself and so you'd smell better. Um, you could you know, heal your, your, your hard, scaly skin with it. But it wasn't something you did every day. You saved that for special occasions. This was like a feast day or you're going to a wedding and you know, you're, you're getting dressed up and it's this very special day. But what he's saying here is like, look, Live every day with this attitude of celebration. We tend to think, oh, it's just another day. Nothing's really exciting happening today. This is just a normal day. Nothing really significant about this day. He says, stop. Get up out of your bed and get busy living. You have a day. Celebrate that day. Don't fear dressing up. Don't fear getting yourself ready. Even though tomorrow you may die. Live today with joy and celebration. So can we find things every day that are worthy of celebration? Can we do that? Even though it's just another meal, it's just another day at work, it's just another Sunday, can we stop and think, God, this is a day to celebrate and rejoice over? And it's amazing to me that even in this harsh world, God gives us things still for our comfort and our celebration. He did not have to do that. He could have said, you know what? You as humanity fell into sin. You have created this mess. It's yours. But he still gives us things. He still tells us there is things to celebrate even now. The next one, verse 9, he gives us the gift of companionship. And he says this, live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun. All your days of vanity, for that is your portion in life and in your labor which you perform under the sun. Guys, it's very easy to fall into this, and girls, this, is, this certainly goes both ways. And, and yes, this specifically is talking about husbands and wives, but this has a lot of context for relationships in general. But it's very easy to have this Christian mindset that says, I have to love you, but I don't got to enjoy you. And we're missing the whole point of this gift of companionship. Because you notice he puts both of them in there. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love. He's almost assuming like, okay, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and say you love her. You're making the choice to sacrifice. You're choosing to love her. But you're also called to enjoy her. That doesn't happen accidentally. That doesn't happen without intentionality. You know one of the most frustrating things that you hear when somebody gets married? I hate this. Somebody gets married and they're so excited. They're talking about how great marriage is. And some old bitter person comes up. Yeah, you just wait. Ah, 
That's just the honeymoon stage soon. Oh, son, you're good. Well, you just wait. This is a gift. And do you know what we need to hear? This part that comes in the middle. For this is your portion in life. God says, this is the one I have given to you. This is the one you find your joy in, not the one who's not your portion. But it's very easy to say, I choose to love my wife, but I'm finding my enjoyment somewhere else. And when that happens, we are writing a middle story that's going to lead to disaster. But God is gracious and God is kind. And even if that's your story, if you are breathing and here today, it can change. But it won't change on accident. So the same thing is true of friendships. You know, enjoy the friendships that you have. Delight in those friendships. Because God has given us this as a gift. It's very easy. If you're blessed with a wonderful wife, it's very easy to start to take her for granted. Don't be so foolish. Finally, one more thing that he's given us as a gift, and it's our calling. And this word calling, I don't mean some like mystical, like you sit down and you had this epiphany on the wall of I'm supposed to go do this thing. It's just, he says this, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Whatever you find yourself doing today, give it everything you got. If it feels like the most menial, unimportant, mundane task, give it all you've got. Sometimes we have this idea of like, when I find a job worthy of my skills and abilities, I'll give it everything I got. Start today. The calling you have right now, the the, the job you find yourself in, the activities you find yourself doing, those are the things the hand of God has given you right now. Enjoy them. Give it all you've got. So work hard wherever you are. So if we put all these gifts together, these these four things of contentment and celebration and companionship and calling, we need to just hear the message that's being communicated. It's not wrong to enjoy the things of this life. Do you hear that? It's very easy to fall into kind of this like, False spirituality idea that says, well, nothing in this world matters, and all that matters is what's coming, and so nothing in this world gives me any joy. I'm just looking ahead. We're missing it. Because you know what we're doing when we're doing that? God is saying, I have given you thousands and millions of gifts every single day of your life, and you're turning your nose up at them like they don't matter. We went to a bookstore yesterday. It was a books a million. I, I, I love going to bookstores because you go in there and it's like, it's beautiful. The lights are right. There's like a thousand books and it's so fun and it smells good. Do you, do you know the smell of new books? You know, I've started like reading a lot on Kindle and stuff, but it's not the same. And so I was telling the kids how awesome this is going to be. And I mean, we go into the kids section. And so we're back in the kids section of this bookstore yesterday. And this mom walks in with like probably this little three-year-old. And this three-year-old walks in and, and, and she goes, oh, this is as great as you said. And the smile that came on this mom's face was so awesome. Because the mom realized, I'm about to give my daughter something she's going to love. And in the moment when that daughter just saw that as a gift and, and enjoyed that moment and gave thanks to her mom for what happened, that mom was delighted. 
That's what we can do to the heart of God. When we go slow enough in life to recognize the gifts he's given us, however small they may be, it brings joy to his heart. But unfortunately, this fellow has become more commonly the poster boy of Christianity. Oh, doom and gloom. Eeyore didn't understand that he was surrounded by gifts. He's surrounded by green grass and blue skies and friends who cared about him in life. So instead, I encourage you this week, this is a book that I know a lot of you have read, 1,000 Gifts by Ann Voskamp. And uh, I know there was a Sunday school class on it a couple years ago. But what's so incredibly powerful about this gal's story is she went through some incredibly hard things in life, a lot of tragic events. And she got this idea that she was going to stop and write down 1,000 gifts that she experienced in her life. And these weren't like huge things like my house, my you know, food, like very detailed, specific things. You see a picture of a bird's nest there and just the joy of it. She jokes that sometimes she, would, she was making pizza one day. Her husband's a hog farmer, you know, just a farmer kind of guy. He walks into the house and she's making pizza and she has this pile of cheese and she's just staring at this cheese and taking a picture of this cheese because she just thought, this is so cool. And her husband walks in and she's like, oh, he's going to think I've lost my mind. And probably, yeah, that's understandable. But what was so neat is her husband said, I love it when you enjoy the most simple things of life. And so this lady, as she worked through this list and she wrote down a thousand things that she had to be grateful for, it changed her as a person. It changed the middle of her story. And the same is true of us. It's not as hard to write a thousand gifts from the Lord as we think it would be. But it is really hard, and we're going 1,000 miles an hour, and we never slow down enough to actually see it. But when we slow down enough, and we see it, and we give it a name, and we say, this thing right here is a gift from the Lord, all of a sudden, we start to enjoy it, and it changes our life. It changes the lives of those around us. But what's important for us to see is that paired with this idea of enjoyment is also this idea of gratitude. Now, this is really important, and it doesn't just jump out at us at the text, but when we go back and we remember, everything Solomon's talking about is in this context of all of this is found in the hand of the Lord. Everything we have to enjoy in life, we need to recognize this is a gift from God. But when we pair enjoyment with gratitude, it works. But if we just focus on the enjoyment and we say, I want to enjoy everything God's given me, I want to enjoy all the blessings of this world, and we don't actually stop and recognize the importance of gratitude, all of a sudden, these things that we are finding our enjoyment in become the ultimate things. Do you, do you see that? All of a sudden, these gifts that we, are, that we are enjoying become the things that we live for. But when we pair our enjoyment with gratitude, which says, God, I'm enjoying this thing, but I know this is a gift from your hand, all of a sudden, the joy of this life is met with this idea that this comes from the hand of our creator, and now it's this act of worship. But if we separate that and we say, I just want to enjoy it, but I don't want to acknowledge who it comes from, all of a sudden, these things that we're supposed to enjoy become ultimate things, and all of a sudden, we grow to hate those things. That's what C.S. Lewis said. He says, anytime we find our ultimate joy in things of this world, we actually grow to hate that thing because that thing can never meet all that we are placing upon it. 
But when we enjoy these things fully, Solomon's saying, enjoy these things fully in the context of gratitude. It's a beautiful combination. So finally, the last part of our sentence. You will die one day, but live the rest of your days fully with joy and gratitude and don't quit. So verses 11 and 12 say this. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the men of understanding, nor favor to the men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time. Like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. So maybe we're going about our day and we are trying to enjoy these gifts from the Lord. Solomon's just kind of warning us, but don't forget that time and chance happens to all of us. The fast person doesn't always win the race, right? If they did, we wouldn't have to have the race. The strongest person doesn't always win the fight. The wise person doesn't always end up with the most money and the provisions that they need. And so he's using this here to just remind us, press on with endurance. Even when it gets hard, even when you have these days where you feel like you just got snared out of nowhere, keep pressing on. Don't quit. Because even these things that seem to be like time and chance, even those come from the hand of God. So press on. Enjoy fully and think, enjoy in gratitude, but press on. So as we put all this together, we need to realize all of us have had our once upon a time, and one day we're going to have our end, but how are we living now in the middle of our story? And there's another story that makes our middle work. There's another once upon a time, and that story is once upon a time, God created a world, and he put men and women in it to live in fellowship and fulfillment with him. But then the middle of the story went really badly and man chose to rebel against God and choose their own way. And so instead of finding fulfillment in their relationship with God, all they experienced was the brokenness and vanity and toil. That could have been the end. But God says the middle of the story is not over. And so God chose to send his son. He sent his son Jesus. And so once upon a time, Jesus, God himself became man he lived on this earth and he lived every day tearing off one more day. But unlike us, every day he tore off, he lived perfectly. He lived in fulfillment and joy and in gratitude for his father. He lived in perfect submission. And one day, one day it seemed like all hope was lost because Jesus' final day of the chain came apart. And the end of his life under the sun was over. And if that was really the end, we would be a helpless people today. But God says, you thought that was the end, but that's still part of the middle because the end is he's coming back. Three days later, he rose from the grave and he conquered death and destruction and all the brokenness we face. And one day he will come back to collect those who have placed their faith in him. And one day, all of this joy we experience today, do you know it's just a little taste of what's to come? One day, the things that give us joy now, we're going to experience them in a whole new way because we, it won't be tainted by the power and reality of sin because Jesus had a once upon a time and a the end, and he lived perfectly in the middle. And so because of that, our middle can be different. So let's live this week with purpose. Let's go. Let's live by enjoying 
and recognizing all the gifts that God has given to us. Because when we do that, it brings great delight to our Father. Let's pray. Father, we stop and we just give thanks. There are so many things in this moment, but even just a few hours that we've been awake, you have poured thousands and thousands of gifts of your grace upon us. Father, help us to see it. Open our eyes to what is real. Open our eyes to this reality that you are a God who lavishes good things upon us, and that's not a bad thing for us to enjoy those, Father. But God, protect our hearts. Help us to not enjoy those to our own destruction, but to enjoy those with this perfect combination of gratitude because you are the one who has given us all things richly to enjoy. Help us, Father, to slow down, to live in this moment. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we've had to be here together. And God, we pray that you give us a good rest of our day. Help us to, if you choose to give us an afternoon and an evening, help us to live with intentionality. We thank you so much for the story of your son and how his story changes everything about our story. You are so kind to us, Father. Help us to see it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's Word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.